0: This week on The Bioneers.
1: When we're talking about dealing with racism in an institution, it's really overwhelming. To us, we get it. We've been dealing with this since we were in kindergarten. We have had our elders talking to us, telling us the stories about what happened. We know where we come from, and it's here. So how do we get that out? How do you get people to care?
0: This week, we hear from indigenous youth who are standing up against the erasure of native history on Bioneers Radio.
2: Support for the Bioneers' Revolution from the Heart of Nature is provided in part by Organic Valley Family of Farms and by the generous support of listeners like you.
0: Is it okay for a white kid to dress up as Moana for Halloween? That's the question that USA Today newspaper asked as part of an ongoing discussion around cultural appropriation, addressing how caricatures such as blackface or a headdress in war paint are offensive and hurtful. People of color have been having discussions like these for a long time, but college campus campaigns like We're a Culture, Not a Costume have helped push the issue into the mainstream. Each year, it now prompts the media to offer advice for parents and others who plan to dress up. The discussion around cultural appropriation is part of an even deeper conversation that's happening in schools, particularly among Native American youth. From racist mascots to stereotypes and national creation myths like Thanksgiving to the historical erasure of the American genocide from textbooks, Native American students face racism from kindergarten through university. It's especially poignant in California where Native peoples also face a widespread misperception that they don't exist. Cultural appropriation and outright racism toward indigenous peoples in the U.S. is only beginning to be discussed. In a passionate conversation convened by the Native-led Indigeneity program at the Bioneers Conference, California Indian and other Native youth shared stories of their own experiences, their successful struggles to bring the real history of America into the classroom, and ideas about how to abolish racism in schools. In this program, we hear from Indigenous rights activists Dakota Brown, Chitanaba Johnson, Jaden Lim, and Nalan Pike. I'm Neil Harvey. I'll be your host. Welcome to The Bioneers Revolution from the Heart of Nature.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Machuksus uh, Kuchayama, Kane Oyase Dakota Brown, Ken Unutu Unuk Tamileto, Kane Jackson Moo. Uh, Hello, everybody. My name is Dakota Brown. I'm Miwok from the Wilton Rancheria up in the Sacramento Valley. You know, it's an honor to be here today.
0: Dakota Franklin Kicking Bear Brown is an award-winning youth activist and founder and president of an organization called NERDS, Native Education Raising Dedicated Students, which works to improve the lives and academic performances of Native students through cultural awareness, education, and substance abuse prevention. He's also a traditional dancer and was appointed by President Obama to the National Advisory Council on Indian Education.
2: You know, my experience with racism in school goes back a while. We had a uh, historical figures project where you're supposed to write a research paper on a historical figure, someone who you really admire, and then you come to school dressed up as that person, give an oral presentation. You know, a, a lot of students chose people, and I noticed that there was no indigenous representation. So I decided to choose Red Cloud. And I wrote my research report on Red Cloud. I went to school dressed in my native regalia. And doing that, I I did feel a little exposed, a little vulnerable, you know, kind of like a turtle on its back. But I did it anyways, you know, I wanted to represent my culture. And, uh, at recess, before I had a chance to actually give my oral presentation, there was a group of sixth graders. I was in fourth grade. I was uh, out on the playground in my regalia. They circled up around me, and they started doing like fake war hoops and like dancing around me and plucking the feathers out of my hair. And I, I was I was devastated. I, I all I could do was cry. And my teacher didn't know what happened. She thought that maybe I was just uncomfortable in the regalia that I'd worn to school or something. And so she was like, okay, Dakota, just suck it up. There's no need to cry. Come to the class. Give your presentation. So I did. I, I sucked it up. I did. I gave my presentation, pulled through the day. And my mom picked me up at the end of the day. And as soon as I got in the car, I just, like, let loose, like, bawling, like, telling her what had happened. And before we could even leave the parking lot, she, like, pulled over and like we marched right into the principal's office and the principal asked me he was like you know what do you think we should do you know what do you want these students to have as their punishment instead of having them suspended or anything or, or really punishing them I wanted a formal written apology and I wanted them to have to write a research report on the mistreatment of native people throughout history. And they did, and I still have those reports. I um, yeah, I they're they're really great reminders Yeah, and so one of the best tactics I think to use in fighting racism is educating, giving facts, letting people know what you know the truth is, educating them.
1: Okay. Hi, uh, my name is Chitaniba Johnson, I'm 21 years old, I'm Navajo, and it's an honor to be here, it's a blessing to meet you guys.
0: Chitaniba Johnson is an engaged young indigenous rights advocate who faced cognitive dissonance as a student in the California public school system.
1: It was Columbus Day and everybody was dressing up as either a pilgrim or an Indian person. And one of my classmates, he's like, I thought all the Indians were dead. Okay, and then you fast forward to my third grade experience. I was sitting next to two uh, Bilagana boys who thought it would be a good idea to draw pictures of airplanes shooting guns down at Indian people on horseback. And showed me those pictures and they were like, this is what happened to you. And it was funny to them. And fourth grade, California Indian students and non-Indian students are forced to do a California mission project in which you are supposed to go find a California mission, you do a history project on it, and you talk about why it was good for California, why it was good for Native people, why it was good for non-Native people. And there is absolutely no mention of the genocide, the slavery, the violence, and the hatred and the racism that took place, that, that was the purpose of those places, none of that is ever mentioned. You could do a project studying the mission project that fourth graders in California are assigned. Just look at that as a whole. Who decided that that was a good idea? Why was the genocide overlooked in all of that? And how did it, how did it make it through so many levels of educated people? And how did the indigenous students get looked over
0: Miseducation about the historical role of the mission system has been difficult to overcome in California schools. Native students often remain silent in the face of history projects assigned to them by teachers who are themselves uneducated about the topic or clouded by their own prejudices. In 2015, Chitonaba Johnson sparked a national debate over how Native American history is taught in schools. She challenged her Sacramento State University history professor when he told her class that the word genocide was too strong a term to describe what happened to American Indians. When she protested, he threatened to have her expelled from the class. The school investigated the situation, but the professor was not reprimanded.
1: So, the situation that went viral I was in a history class at Sac State. It's the second day of class. The professor is talking. He's basically going over the outline and the syllabus. Like, he's like, we're going to talk about slavery. We're going to talk about women's issues. And he says we're going to touch on indigenous topics as well. So I'm sitting there thinking this is going to be a a great class. I'm really excited. This guy is inclusive. And on the second day of class, he's, like, talking about indigenous people. And he goes, the genocide. I'm not going to use that word because genocide isn't what happened to native people. It was an accident. Diseases were not intentional. I'm... A very passionate person. (laughs) So I understood that right there in that moment, it probably wasn't the best idea for me to open my mouth because I had no evidence and from... My point of view, I didn't have any other indigenous people in the classroom, so what I did was I went home, I jumped on Twitter, Uh, I have a lot of Native people following me on Twitter, and we interact, and I asked them, like, you know, hey, I'm going to put together a packet for this guy, I'm going to do some research, I'm going to find some evidence, I'm going to bring it to class, and I'm going to ask him about the comment that he made, I'm going to ask him to back it up, I'm going to ask him, what made him think it was OK to make a statement like that at a university level in a college classroom to a cl- like 30, 40 students? And so I had this packet. I highlighted it. I annotated it. I left a couple like documentary recommendations on the back, and I took my packet to class. I asked him, hey, you made this comment the other day that uh, genocide isn't what happened to Native American people. Why do you say that? And he kind of like, did a little chuckle to himself. And he's like, we're not going to talk about this. And I said, why not? And from then on, (laughs) uh, the conversation got a little more heated. You know, being the only indigenous student in a classroom a lot of time, it's very uncomfortable when you bring things up to your teachers. When you choose to challenge people who are uneducated, people who are ignorant accidentally and ignorant willfully, you have to be careful. And that's something that this fight really taught me because... When we're talking about dealing with racism in, insti- in an institution, it's really overwhelming. To us, we get it. We've been dealing with this since we were in kindergarten. We have had our elders talking to us telling us the stories about what happened. We know where we come from and it's here. So how do we get that out? How do you get people to care?:
3: she's San Carlos Apache. So my name is Nolan Pike. I am enrolled in the San Carlos Apache tribe, but um, I'm Chiricahua Apache.
0: Nolan Pike is an internationally renowned indigenous rights and environmental leader from San Carlos, Arizona, passionate about her culture, identity, and tribal sovereignty. She co-leads the Apache Stronghold Group with her grandfather and mother, fighting to stop a mining project that would desecrate Oak Flat, an Apache sacred site.
3: I come from southeastern Arizona. I went to high school in a little mining town 30 minutes away from the St. Carlos Reservation. What I think about racism in school is that it's a generational fight that we fight against. um, Because my grandfather, Wensler Nosey in the 70s had the whole entire school and all the native students walked out because they were being discriminated against and called names and forced to have their hair cut. And then there goes my mother when she's in grade school and she gets hit by the nun because she didn't stand up for the flag. And then there's me. I almost got kicked out for not standing up for the flag. And it was a substitute teacher who had no education to what the flag could mean to other people. And so every morning, you have to do the Pledge of Allegiance, right? I never did the Pledge of Allegiance. I always sat down and always put my head down. And it wasn't to disrespect, you know, those who had fought for this country, right? But I did a prayer. I would pray because of all my ancestors, of all those past generations that had died for that flag. My mother and my grandfather had taught me that each stripe, yes, represent those 13 colonies. But those 13 colonies wiped out most of those people in that region. And then there's the stars, right? In order to get those stars on that flag, they had to rape our women, murder our warriors, and imprison us in reservations. So why would, I, why would I acknowledge or stand up to that flag? That's how I looked at it. And so it was in my geometry class sophomore year, and we ended up arguing that entire hour about my perspective and my point of view and his uneducated self. And so of course, you educate the person. It was kind of funny because after the argument ended, a group of Native students from St. Carlos ended up standing and applauding, and they were like, future chairwoman, future chairwoman. <laughs> <laughs> and we're laughing and you know, that support was what really helped me and got me through it. It started up this big wave within the school a lot of the kids didn't stand up for the flag because they understood that we all have a different perspective, we all have a different story and there's always one story that is heard and that is the winner's side. But we're not a conquered people, I'll tell you that because this war is still going on, these battles are still happening. I mean, that's what we're doing today, You know, fighting for sacred land, fighting for identity and that's what we're doing here now, here at, at this panel.
0: When we return, we'll hear about creative ways young people are working to replace offensive sports teams' mascots and some advice to other youth who face racism in their schools. This is We're a Culture, Not a Costume, Fighting Racism in Schools. I'm Neil Harvey. You're listening to The Bioneers, revolution from the heart of nature. If you love Bioneers Radio, it's free and easy to support us. Just take a moment to post a review on our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you find our show online. You'll be helping other people find and enjoy these incredible thinkers and storytellers. And thank you for helping us out.
2: There's a lot of issues that are happening with our indigenous people. There's a lot that we're fighting for. Just real quick, some statistics about Native youth. Native youth across the country have the highest dropout rate, lowest graduation rate, highest suicide rate. There's a lot of statistics that go with being Native youth that are just devastating. Mascots fit in with all those other issues.
0: That's Dakota Brown. He says that a lot of the work he's done to fight racism in the educational system has centered around getting rid of mascots that depict Native Americans in offensive or stereotypical ways. There are mascots and team names based on offensive stereotypes in nearly every major league in the United States, not to mention countless K-12 schools, which receive much less attention.
2: I grew up in a really small town. One of our biggest rivals was the uh, calaveras redskins you know i played high school football and it was tough being out there on the field you see people from that school wearing headdresses fake face paint but then at the same time you have people from your own school who may be yelling and chanting, kill the redskins scalp them almost like there's no way to escape it when you're in that kind of situation you know the thing about mascots is they affect native students from all over not just the native students who attend that school but native students who may have to go up against that school in sports or something they give the right to non-native people to mock our culture when our students are exposed to mascots in a place where they're supposed to feel safe when they're exposed to images that dehumanize their culture that tell them you don't exist all you are is an image on the side of our gymnasium That gives students a a lower self-worth. It makes them feel out of place in a location, in our academic settings where we're supposed to be doing our best. We're we're supposed to be getting our education and feel accepted. Um, And yet, that's not the case for our Native students. And so, the mascot issue is more than just removing images. It's creating a better place for our students and creating a place where they feel worthy, where they're on the same level as other non-Native students.
0: Dakota Brown worked with California Assembly Member Luis Alejo to pass AB30, known as the California Racial Mascots Act. It eliminated the word Redskins from use in the state's public schools as a team mascot or team name. Brown also became the first Native American to act as the Leland Stanford Junior University marching band Tree Mascot. Battles like these have been going on for decades and continue throughout the country, with some successes. In 2014, the U.S. Patent Office canceled five Washington Redskin trademarks, calling them offensive. In 2018, the Cleveland Indians management said it would stop using the cartoon image Chief Wahoo on uniforms or stadium signs, though it would still use it on merchandise and had no plans to change the team name. Dakota Brown is pleased with the successes he and other students have had and says support from family and community has made all the difference.
2: When I first got into the mascot fight, you know, I was really big into it, and my dad at first didn't see a problem. I explained it to him, and within a year, he was marching at NFL games and holding signs up and right there by my side. And so, you know, it's all about that family support system, but being at Stanford University, there's a fair amount of indigenous issues on campus that we're fighting for, one of the biggest ones being the renaming of campus buildings. There's a lot of symbolization of the mission system. Stanford was modeled after California missions. There's buildings named after Junipera Serra, idolizing these people who were responsible for the genocide here in California. One of the issues that we've been dealing with at the university is all of our indigenous students fighting that and trying to rename some of these buildings and streets and having that support system of other indigenous students on campus. Even though not all of us come from California, we understand that this is an issue that needs to be dealt with and understanding that there's different issues for every indigenous nation and us in California maybe it's fighting that mission system and that idolization.
0: In 2017, California Governor Jerry Brown signed Assembly Bill 738. The landmark legislation requires the development of a model Native American studies curriculum in consultation with certain Native American tribes and encourages school districts and charter schools with grades 9 to 12 to offer a course based on the curriculum. At the Bioneers Indigenous Forum panel, Jaden Lim shared that she regularly corrects her teachers on California history. She's Northern California POMO and a tribal youth ambassador with the California Indian Museum and Cultural Center. In 2016, she was invited to speak alongside First Lady Michelle Obama at a White House ceremony honoring the program.
4: There's a new California Genocide book that came out, An American Genocide, and it was really well-researched, and I have lent it to many of my teachers. I think that students should uh, annotate a history textbook and realize that it's all wrong. There's so many statements that are wrong. The Indians wandered to the mission. The Indians had no place to go, so they went to the mission. I mean, you could. I spend hours. I, I get history textbooks from my AP U.S. history class, and I spend hours annotating it, photocopying it to my teacher, like telling them, you know, this is wrong. you got to give me some other stuff to read because I can't read this anymore.
0: Identifying the problem is a fundamentally important step on the road towards a solution. Standing up and speaking truth to power takes courage and wisdom, traits that these young leaders have in quantities well beyond their years. What will it take to change the system from the ground up? Again, Jaden Lim.
4: I think that a good way to approach it is call them out, first of all. Tell them, why do you think that's okay? Why are you contributing to the last stage of genocide, which is denial? Why are you contributing to stereotypes? Call them out, research your information, give them examples, have materials ready. I have pamphlets ready to hand out to any person that is gonna say something negative or something offensive to me, because it happens all the time. You should never be scared about facing that one person, or a teacher even. I face so many teachers, so... <laughs> so don't worry so much about facing that one person because there's plenty of people that are on the same page with you and that are gonna back you up.
1: The number one thing my mom has drilled in my head, my stubborn head, is you really have to pick your battles.
0: Chutanuba Johnson.
1: And in picking your battles, you really gotta pace yourself. You've got to understand that once you start jumping in this fight, you're going to have to carry more. Arm yourself first and foremost with historical facts. You can have all this passion, you can have this emotion, you can have this sadness and this anger, but if you have no way to communicate it in facts, there's a lot of people out there who are not going to listen to you. You are definitely not alone. Things can get really heavy really fast. As an indigenous kid, like you carry so much weight and that can be really heartbreaking, and you got to know... When to give yourself breaks, you got to know how to take care of yourself. You got to know what you're doing is for the right reason. And please don't give up.
3: I just think it's important that we be able to acknowledge and hear these stories and be able to do something about it.
0: Nolan Pike.
3: And to be able to support one another no matter what. Because that's what we have survived through all this genocide. You know, is that support between one another, that love that we've always had to come together because we are a powerful and resilient people. And so this racism doesn't even amount to how much pride and how much goodness and how much strength and how much resiliency we have in our history, in our songs, in our prayers, in our traditions and where we come from, the land. And I think as youth specifically, we think our voice doesn't matter when, look, we're sitting on a panel, you know. We've had many youth within different regions that have been the headstone and the backbone to these movements and to these communities fighting these issues specifically. And I think now you see this generation here, we're making a difference, we're making that stand, and we're creating a change.
0: Nolan Pike, Chitanaba Johnson, Jaden Lim, and Dakota Brown, brave young indigenous people leading a cultural transformation that centuries overdue. We're a culture, not a costume, fighting racism in schools. You can see and hear more from the guests in our program and explore more Bioneers radio programs, podcasts, blogs, and videos online at Bioneers.org. For information on attending the National Bioneers Conference and Bioneers events in your area, please visit Bioneers.org or call 1-877-BIONEER. The Bioneers, Revolution from the Heart of Nature, is a production of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute. Executive producer, Kenny Ausubel. Written by Kenny Ausubel. Senior producer and station relations, Stephanie Welch. Host and consulting producer, Neil Harvey. Producer, Theo Grossman. Program engineer and music supervisor, Emily Harris. Production assistants, Alexis Bunton. Our theme music is co-written by the Baca Forest People of Cameroon and Baca Beyond from the album East to West. All royalties from Baca compositions and performances go to the Baca Forest People through the charity Global Music Exchange. Find out more at globalmusicexchange.org. Additional music was made available by Edamame at edamamebeats.com. The opinions expressed on the Bioneers' revolution from the heart of nature are those of the presenters and are not necessarily those of Bioneers and Collective Heritage Institute, the underwriters, or this radio station. My name is Neil Harvey. Thank you for listening. This is program number 1217.
2: This program was made possible in part by Organic Valley's pasture-raised organic dairy products, bringing the good from our family farmers to your table at organicvalley.coop, and by the generous support of listeners like you.